something of a small switch hit, tribute, mark of respect and honour to a man known as the hero of Munich, Harry Gregg, a phenomenal goalkeeper for Manchester United, gone to his eternal rest. Manchester United, Northern Ireland and all-round legend. Sleep well, champ. You're welcome on in. Kenswell Boxing, Ireland's only boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich, and you'll find all our episodes, new and old, www.endswellboxingpodcast.com. You can WhatsApp us, 083351-5250, and of course you'll find us on all the social media platforms. You bum, you're a bum dosser. And it is, of course, my privilege and pleasure, as always, to be in your ears for this second episode as we look at this towards this behemoth battle at the weekend between the two greatest heavyweights walking the earth right now. Thanks to all who reached out after Monday's episode. It was really, really brilliant and heartwarming, and thank you very much. It means the world to me to get the feedback of all of you people who take time to listen and respond and react in any way, shape or form. Sitting here last night in the dark, power gone, wind howling, fire lighting, alone with my thoughts, and the phone goes, and I get a piece of information, a piece of news that I am sworn to secrecy on first, and I am not good with secrets, I'm not good with secrets, so thank you very much, thank you very much, but uh, the secret is very much safe until it becomes not a secret, and um I guess for a long time now, it's um, I've wanted something. I, I think I commented. Well, shout out to Louise. I think I mentioned to you, Lou, around Christmas that I wanted something for somebody so much more than I ever wanted anything for myself. Yeah, I did, and I do, and I will. And uh, um, all I can say right now is, hold on to your dreams. Hold on to everything that you believe in. Hold on to everything that you wanted and worked towards and strove and have and have shed tears, you have shed blood, have sweated, have had the heartbreak, have had the absolute devastation, have had doors closed in your face. Just open the next one and the next one and the next one and do not give up on your dream. Do not because I'm telling you this much. I am telling you this much. They do happen. They do come real. When you want them enough, you get after them. You get after them. And uh, I have not stopped smiling since last night, round about a 10, round about the 10 p.m. mark. So I was a, picture this, silly old Kildare fool sat in the dark, knees up, arms around the knees, chin on the knees, looking into nowhere. Little bit like Gary Barlow, smelling the fart pondering into the distance and just lost in my thoughts and amazing amazing and right that moment it was as if uh, if I'm going to be really dramatic it was as if that beam of light came down like the lotto ad it's you and uh, that wish that I had for that just is so much closer now so much closer and it's just warmed my heart so on this horrible, cold, wet, windy, storm Dennis, storm Kira, storm whatever. Do your damnedest, lads, because it ain't making no difference in this world today. Joining me on this episode today, probably couldn't have planned it any better because the way things work with scheduling here for interviews, sometimes they drop in, sometimes they drop out, sometimes a fella that was meant to be on next week comes on this week and vice versa. 
But as it just happens this week, I've got two fellas who trained at different times in their career. Different careers, different times. Both trained under Brendan Ingle in the Winkabank Gym in Sheffield. I've got Dublin, super middleweight, former professional boxer John O'Brien, who is now the main man at Champions Gym in Lanzarote, and he'll be with me to talk about the changes that a young amateur progressing into the professional game faces. And, of course, give me his thoughts on Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder at the weekend. Richard Towers is a former heavyweight of distinction, and he's had his own distinguished career in the ring. He's also trained with such legendary trainers, of course. He was a close, close friend and pal of Brendan and Alma Ingle. He's also worked under Adam Booth. He's worked Dave Caldwell. He's trained some of our top Irish fighters, Michael Conlon. He's trained Ryan Burnett. He's trained Andy Lee. He is an absolutely amazing fella. One of the nicest people you would ever like to meet. And one of the nastiest you wouldn't want to meet in the ring. Or if you want to be silly enough to offend or cause any sort of offence to a man who just loves to talk boxing. That's coming up in a few minutes. With this funny old narrative that I can't help noticing, and how it's turned on its head since the very first one of these fights almost 14 months ago, December 2018. At the time, I remember commenting and making a point of how so many were ruling out Tyson Fury because Ben Davison had so little experience, because he was too young. Because it was just too big a fight and he didn't have the wherewithal, he didn't have the minerals required for a fight of this magnitude. And why would Freddie Roach be playing number two? Well, we saw how that played out and we saw how the game plan played out and we saw who won the fight. Or not. But we certainly found out that night. But I remember commenting that all the great young trainers at one point in time had to get their break somewhere. That was Ben's. He's not part of the team for this one. That's the way it goes this time round. We'll get into that in a few minutes as well. Manny will say he's a loss to this one. Maybe Manny will say he should still be there. What I'll say is, hashtag trust in Tyson. If you're on and you get to the chance after this, and you have a listen, hashtag trust in Tyson. He doubted him the first time. Anyone that's doubted him against Klitschko, you doubted him against this fight, you doubted him. Stop doubting. Gonna have a look back over that fight, just before we get into the weeds. The stats, the compu stats for that fight. Fury landed 84 out of 327 shots, a 26% success rate. Wilder, 71 shots out of 430 thrown, a 17% success rate. Now here's the contradiction. This is a, this is how peculiar that first fight was. Wilder outthrew Tyson Fury in 11 of the 12 rounds. Figure that. True less shots, but outthrew. How, how does that work? Well, you watch. And Fury outlanded Wilder in 9 of the 12 rounds. There you go. And just for one little more contradiction in it, which was the one round that Fury did manage to outthrow Wilder? Round 10. Round 10. After being on the floor in round 9. So there you go. So let's have a look at this new look Tyson Fury team. He's put together quite a quite a who's who in the boxing world. He's got... Jacob Stitch Duran, of course, the top cutman and the most recognised cutman in boxing today. He's got him in case that wound opens over his eye again. Should it happen, he's got the best in the world to deal with it. He's brought in George Lockhart, nutritionist, widely regarded as one of the, if not the top nutritionist in combat sports today. Massive, massive impact on Ronda Rousey's preps for all her fights. And then in turn, of course, worked with Conor McGregor and many of the other top UFC stars, as well as an abundance of boxers. So that's outside. He then switched to bring in Sugar Hill, 
who is of course the nephew of the legendary Emmanuel Stewart, owner and founder of Cronk Gym. Sugar is a former Detroit policeman, and anyone that hasn't heard or seen him speak yet or heard his interviews very, very much reminds me of the phenomenal Big John McCarthy, UFC, former UFC referee and now colour commentator for Bellator MMA. He's confident, he's assured, not always volunteering to come forward, he's not always forthcoming, he doesn't like to brag or give away too much, but he's engaging. And he's very, very polite. Now, to put beside him, as if that wasn't already impressive enough with the Kronk background, we have our very own phenomenal, fantastic, and my favourite, all the Fs, Andy Lee. What is there to say, really, about Andy? He's been, as I said, my favourite from his era and across all the rest for so, so long. He's the epitome of class. He's confident, he's ferocious, he's relentless, and he's easily the best times of my boxing fandom, if you want to call it that, were going to the shows when Andy was making his way through the division, through the ranks, those shows in University of Limerick, the shows in Dublin in the stadium, the show in Belfast against Fitzy, uh, following, supporting and dreaming and going over every bump in that road that Andy Lee went along. I remember being on the floor when he lost to Brian Vera, thinking, this is it, this is it. And I remember being equally, probably lower through the floor when he lost to that... Um, Shall we call? Yeah, we'll just say Chavez, so we'll say no more about that. He's Emmanuel, one of my one of my endearing, most endearing memories, of course, would be the night he beat Jason McKay in the stadium in what was a little bit of a grudge match. McKay had gone into the he'd gone into the muck a little bit in the build up to the fight, and um, he paid for that dearly. And Emmanuel got on the mic afterwards in the stadium, and he told everybody there that this was going to be the next middleweight champion of the world. And the place just went into uproar. Uproar. Special nights. And, and even as I'm saying it here now, I'm just getting something of a little bit of a goosebump. But it, it, it was, they were, they were special times. And Andy deflects the praise often. In this camp, I've heard him refer to Sugar as being the boss. Andy is just playing his role in it. But have no doubt, have no doubt, he is playing an integral part to this team. He was always brought in alongside Emmanuel. One of Emmanuel's really great tricks, I won't say tricks, but really great uh, ways of bringing his up-and-coming champions was to include them in all of everything he did along the route. So when Vladimir was making his way along and and, and coming back from a defeat or or on his road to defending and, and successfully defending his title for so long, Emmanuel would have a young Andy Lee in the corner. He would have him doing the bucket. He would have him doing something, anything, just so he could sample he could taste the electricity. He could feel the vibration, the atmosphere. He had everything in place when he got to that situation himself in his career. Nothing was new to him. His calmness, his assuredness, his demeanour, his confidence, it just exudes from him. And he has an ability to scan a room. If you watch him at a press conference or if you watch him in a media day, Andy will scan the room. He'll absorb. He'll listen to the question, absorb it. And for a second, he'll like Jack Charlton was a master at it. He'll take a breath and a second and then he'll deliver his reply with that just steely look, depending on who asks the question. Yes, I've watched Andy Lee quite a lot over the years, with a massive amount of respect. That was my runner, by the way. (laughs) Uh, So, a huge addition, and we'll learn a lot, for his part, from working with Sugar Hill yet again. A lot that can be imparted then to Jason Quigley, and the young gun Andy Paddy Donovan, who has, incidentally, been brought along as part of this as well. Yes, 
You can see the likenesses already. You can see them already. Sugar was part of Andy's corner for many of his fights at the end of his cronk time. And he's uh, they describe the cronk as more than just a coaching, more than just a gym. They both described it glowingly this morning with Buncey and Mike Costello. Shout out to the two fellas. Mike Costello is one of my favourite, my favourite pundit. If you want to, if you find someone that can do a, a call a fight better, and certainly the closing of a fight, you show show them to me, and I will, uh, I will probably argue with you because there is nobody better. So massive respect for Mike Costello. But it was it was brilliant to hear them this morning describe how the cronk is far more than a gym. That it's a it's a bond, it's a mentality, it's a lifestyle, and their style for fighting is to finish, finish big. And if someone gets one on you, you got to get that back. You got to work to get it back and to get that leveler. They've got a camaraderie, they've got a togetherness, and they've got a love. And all those things put together, when watching Tyson over the years, anybody will know that has watched him close will know that Tyson Fury thrives in those environments. He needs to feel the love. He needs to feel the warmth. He needs to feel that teamness, that team unity around him. And from what I can see and hear, it's certainly growing by the minute, growing by the day, without a doubt. And of course, Andy had a distinguished standout amateur pedigree. Presented the St. Francis Club in Limerick. He boxed in Renton, I believe, from, from London at point, one point in time as well. Massive. Just a, just a colossus in the amateur game. Progressed at a different rate. And as, as we see over the years, we've seen it with Michael Conlon take a little bit longer now. We've seen it with Jason Quigley take a little bit longer. We saw Andy take a little bit longer. And we saw that maturity and that readiness and that ability to select and deliver the right shots at the right time and make the right decisions in fights. It comes with maturity and with experience and who better to talk to us about that changeover and what's required of a young amateur as he moves into the pro division is the former Dublin super middleweight and light heavyweight John O'Brien. John O'trained with Isham Pickering, Ryan Rhodes, Dave Caldwell and he trained under Brendan Ingle for many years in the Winkabank gym. He also trained in the north under Paul, under Fran McCullough and Paul McCullough. And he explains to us here what the biggest changes and what the hardest part of switching across for a young fighter moving into the pro division. In the pro game, you got to sit down on your shots. It's, you know, you're in a longer fight. You're not doing three rounds no more. You know, you're doing four to six to eight to ten to twelve rounds. So, you know, you got to open those legs more. You've got to bend those knees. You've got to move your hips, move your arms, you know, slipping shots. Learn to counter and and, 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 and and move, you know, looking for angles. Like, at the end of the day, Deontay Wilder with Tyson Fury, Tyson Fury is going to know his distance all day long with that man. So that man can keep going looking to throw that big right hand left hook all he likes. Tyson Fury is going to just keep the distance, walk that long job, pop, 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 step over, overhand right, left hook, step to the side. He's going to be knocking from angles, coming from different angles, stepping over. Boxing's all about distance. Yeah. I look at guys that are in there sparring and they're all bleeding, going out at each other. And the guy is literally staying in front of the guy. Why is he not stepping to the left or stepping to the right and coming back to the body? Like, if you drop down to the body, what does that do? You drop for somebody's body for a reason because you want his hands to drop down. If his hands drop down, where you go after that? Go to the head. It's simple. If someone keeps their hands up and they're protecting their face, you pull their hand down. Drop his hand down, big overhand, right, left overcoat, left hook. Then your combination straight after. When you go to the head, where do you go after the head? You go to the body. If you go to the body, where do you go? You go to the head. Say I was in Tyson's corner and I'm trained and getting ready for the fight and you're looking at Deontay Wilder and you're saying, okay, Let's take, let's strip this down. 
That's what you do. The coach, when you're in a corner and you're watching a fight, I'm watching Deontay Wilder. I'm watching exactly what Deontay Wilder is doing. And I'm seeing the mistakes that Deontay Wilder does. But everything it comes to the, down to the, the basics all over again. It's always down to the basics with boxing. That is, is, is your job. Your job opens up the door for everything. It opens up the door for the right hand. It opens up the door for the left hook. It opens up the door for going down to the body. The number one rule in boxing is your fucking jab. And at the end of the day, that's what Tyson Beauty has. He's a beautiful jab, flicking it into your face nonstop. He has those little pullbacks where that right hand's coming or the left hook's coming. He's just pulling back, making a miss, and then he's countering them with them shots. And if you don't understand, like, Deontay Wood is going to swing. He's a swinger, so he swings the body onto the shot. If you swing your whole body onto a shot and you, you miss and you get caught by a shot, you're putting your whole 15, 16 stone onto that shot. And you're going onto his punch, even if he's not a big puncher. You're putting your body right onto that. And that's what Tyson Fury does. He makes them miss and then he catches them. Fight week. It's it's an er- it's an area where some of the most gifted fighters over the years have fallen down badly. It's an area where sometimes their team comes into and it's an area where others are better at, at the at the mental side of the game than they ever were at the physical. How how key is it? All fighters are different. They all go out and they all do the exact same sport where all the mindsets are totally different. So you kinda of have to adapt to every different fighter through the years of being in the corner and getting them ready for fights. When you're losing weight and you're dropping weight and you're trying to get ready for a fight, your mind can start playing tricks with you. You start getting like a little devil on your on your on your shoulder, you know, telling you, you know, is this really what you want? You wanna you wanna ask yourself, is this really what you want? Because you know, if you don't really want this, go and get a nine to five job and be a normal man. Normal men don't do boxing. Let's talk it. Normal men do not do boxing. It's a special sport and special fighters that make it to be world champions are special. That's it. Just to echo what you were saying there, they're fucking amazing people. The stuff that they go through, they're ordinary people doing the most absolutely extraordinary shit to their body on a day on a day where they can't get up out of bed they're getting up out of bed and they're doing 10 times more again so you're you're a million the, the admiration and the love i have for these people fighters first for me all the time and the day that changes one end of a degree i'm done i'm finished because i cannot stand people that put themselves before these 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 warriors because without them what i do is irrelevant what promoters do, irrelevant. Managers, irrelevant. Let me say something in a nutshell, right, for this whole conversation. There's a coach. First, now, first there's a fighter. Second of all, there's a coach. The coach is a father figure, a best friend, a loyal man, and the only person that's standing in your corner and has your back all day long. Third of all, you've got a manager who makes booking phone calls, who drinks his coffee. And for the ball, you've got a promoter who fucking just drinks coffee and speaks with the fucking manager. Right? Yep. At the end of the day, when that fighter loses, who do they point fingers at? Trainer. Exactly. Yep. 100%. The fucking trainer. 100%. And the trainer gets 10%. The manager gets 25 fucking percent and then the fucking promoter gets whatever he gets. But at the end of the day, you know, that is the downfall and that's what I do not. Now because I'm a trainer, I see what way, you know, the trainers are and it's it's, 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 it's a tough game but the boxers have the real lawyers. When you lose, we lose together. Yeah. Now I've seen it but for people that haven't seen it and 
it's it's torturous for some fighters. For all anyone that's not done a weight cut, I haven't done it, but I've seen people. They're almost. It's fair to say they're almost unrecognisable mentally when they're when they're going through it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, listen, Timmy, a weight cut and stuff like that. I tell my fighters over here when you come over, you can speak to all my fighters and they tell you the same things about me. Next time you're doing an interview with them, I want you to ask them. Um, I tell them straight away: drink plenty of water. You can't drink enough water. Water is the number one in, in one thing to do in 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 diets and flushing your body and helping you getting weight off. Water flushes the shit out of your body. Water, just pure water. Drink bottles and bottles of it a day. And what it does is, when you're training, you're, there's so much water going in and out of your system. It opens up. The, it opens up everything in your body, and plus, it opens up. Um, it opens up like uh, you know your pores for when you're sweating. So you sweat more. You don't realize it, but if you sweat more, you're gonna lose an extra half a kilo or yeah. a kilo. That's two fucking pounds extra on what you used to be. Your know, body be losing. And then plus you're, you're going to the toilet a lot more and then your kidneys are walking better, your liver's walking better, your whole lot of your insides is walking better because you're putting f- pure water through, flushing your system, it's flushing the shit. And when you start eating healthy, nothing's getting holded in there. Water's not getting holded in there because your body's so used to drinking it and flushing. You know, and then if you're not the right weight and you're down to nothing and there's nothing left, it's called move up the fucking weight. Yeah. I don't agree in a lot of fighters killing themselves because now they're bringing it in now that you have to weigh in on the day the fights and stuff like that in certain places not everyone are, are weighing in the day before you know and at the end of the day I think it's right I think they should be checking them and they shouldn't be only like they shouldn't be no more than like 7 pounds overweight on the day of the fight and at the end of the day if you can't lose the weight correctly it's the same thing as I say to everybody drink water eat healthy train hard Train hard. The three main things to do. Tell me, how do you see the fight playing out? Who's going to win and how on Saturday night? How's it going to finish? Tyson Fury is only getting better because he's back longer now. His body's getting adapted to the size, his movements. You understand? He was out of the ring for two years. He was on drugs. He was drinking. He was doing all sorts. He had to drop 10 to, 10 to 11 stone in weight. Come on. It yeah. takes you about a year to get your body back right. We've been talking about two fighters that I know and what I know of boxing. I honestly think Tyson Fury has taken the best shots. Let's be honest. The entire world can't hit any harder than he already hit the first one before. Fury's proved that he can take a punch off any man and he gets back up off the floor. That's a true champion. That's a true champion. Someone that shows good and goes till the last bell. And that's what Tyson Fury does. He's a dangerous man. I think Deontay Waller has a really good... You know, he gets caught, he gets hurt, but he's like Tyson Fury. He comes back. I don't think Wilder can do it. He's always looking for the big punch. He hasn't got a boxing brain like Tyson Fury. Thanks, Jono, for that. Really enjoyed it. Love chatting to Jono again. You get about uh, 15 minutes of an interview from Jono, but we were on the phone easily for an hour chatting backwards and forwards. So, massive respect to you watching that team grow and flourish over there in Lanzarote. And certainly, it's a location they will have to get to really soon. So, thanks, Jono. Catch you soon, my man. Never stuck for people to talk about Tyson Fury and never stuck for fans, never stuck for people who may have trained and sparred with him. But what isn't very commonplace is people who have worked alongside Deontay Wilder, the colossus, the absolute Thor thunder hammer fist from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yes, I got that pronunciation right. And I tell you, I don't think I have it spelled right, but I pronounce it right. Fury polarizes opinion. Some love him, some hate him, very few, if any, can ignore him. 
But Wilder's a different story. You won't find many who are close enough to him to receive texts on fight week asking, where are you? Are you here yet? Do you want me to collect you? Do you want me to get someone to go to you? The same fella is a personal friend and former member of Andy Lee's backroom team, as luck would have it. And he was the fella that wore the Irish flag the night, that memorable night, when I jumped around the Limerick Hotel in nothing but a pair of jocks. There's a sight you don't want to see. Trust me, you don't want to see that. When he knocked out Matt Korobov to win his world title. And Andy, if you're listening to this, which I I, I, I believe you might just be, um, I apologise for that image, but it certainly was a view out over the river. It was the Clarion Hotel, I think the name of it is, looking out over it. It was probably the fanciest hotel I've ever managed to stay in Limerick. And I, some nights slept in the car, some nights slept in a van, other nights slept in the Clarion. And that night was a little bit special, so it was just amazing to be there of all nights when he did it. I'm talking, of course, before I go too deep into that horrible, mucky, weedy area. Of course, I refer to my pal, former heavyweight, former student under Brendan Ingle, former assistant and trainee beside Adam Booth, and now running his own gym, Richard Towers. Do you want to tell me and the listeners how yourself and Deontay became mates, and the beautiful side of him that not many see? Yeah, yeah, we, um, I first got to know Deontay when, um, when he obviously, he went over to with Vladimir Klitschko, I went over to spar with Vladimir for the um, Marius Wack fight. Deontay, Deontay was with um, his trainer, Jay Diaz, and he was with um, a fellow called um, Russ Amber, who owns Rival, the boxing, you know, the boxing company Rival. Yeah, and um, and basically they, they were like, "How's this guy here on his own?" And I was just, I was just happy to be there. I was, I was. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was there, Sylvester Stallone was there with their families, and uh, I was just like, wow, man, this is brilliant, you know, at the foot of the house, I was just happy to be there, and um, and I had a really tough time, because obviously, uh, I wasn't like, of any type of Olympic grade, not even a standard amateur grade, like, I think I'd, I'd had three or four amateur fights at that point, out. and um, uh, so I went over there anyway, and just got to know those guys because they were like, this guy, this guy just keeps coming back, keeps coming back. And uh, I was with Deontay for five weeks then, out because um, because uh, the last week, uh, Vladimir moved to Hamburg because he lived in Hamburg and he asked if I wanted to do an extra week. So I stayed on and basically uh, finished the time with Vladimir and it was a bit more personal then because I was going to his house we're spending a lot of time together, me and Vladimir, do you know what I mean? And he's a very different person to me, but nonetheless, I can mix with anybody and that's something that I'm really proud of. It was very similar with Deontay, with me and him became really good, close friends because when we worked in the gym, we were always together and we were going for walks around the Alps, we were going in there, we were hiring cars out, we were really enjoying ourselves and, uh, and we became close friends and then Deontay came over to stay with me uh, before the David A experience, then David A's David A's fight came up with Tyson Fury. They obviously called me down and they got Deontay over Adam, uh, and that's that's when I saw Deontay for the third time in London, and we were set to spend another six weeks together. Obviously, with Tyson, uh, and that's at the same time I got to know Adam, and we all became really good friends. And obviously, me and Adam being closer. Yeah, with regards to the distance, we we obviously made a tire bond. Uh, but Deontay, every time I was coming back over the weekend from London, Deontay come with me. We'd go into the house. My little boy was my youngest, seven now was. He was about two 
two then, I think. And Deontay, I could, my baby didn't want to, he, he didn't really settle with me, you know, he was a bad sleeper. Um, and Deontay just had a, a knack of getting him to sleep straight away, like singing old southern, like church songs and singing to him in that deep voice. Deontay sings like old southern songs, what his grandma used to sing to him. And he had my little boy asleep in like minutes, and I was like, what? So any opportunity I got while we were there over the weekend, over a period of six weeks, he'd come back with me and repeat the same process. And, you know, we were staying, we were living together, you know what I mean? And the bond just becomes tighter. And, um, and that's, that's basically how we met. How it's amazing, and and it, it's it always it's not surprising so much anymore, Rich, because I I spoke to so many of you guys who and and in many ways the the bronze bomber um, persona is every fighter has a persona of some sort that they go to when that switch has to be flipped. Some are a little bit more uh, exaggerated than others. Some are a little bit more outward than others. Others just go inward, and that switch gets flipped. So. But behind it all, 99% of the time are just good guys who are doing what they, the only real thing that they know how to do. Is that fair to say? Yeah, Deontay, uh, Deontay in particular, because we're on the subject of the friend. Deontay's religious belief, moral belief, and just the way he believes in everything he does. You, you, you can't do anything but love the guy for it. Out. And I understand that, and make no mistake about it, when he's talking about going into... sound as Richard had just arrived home he was on the Wi-Fi at home so we have better signal now and I had mentioned to him about the somewhat lazy narrative that goes around about Deontay Wilder uh, where people believe that his boxing skills are non-existent and that he's really all about just this big one winging shot and I put it to Rich that a fighter who boxed in the Olympics and won a bronze medal cannot just be that one dimensional yeah the thing is the thing is Al You've got a lot of opinionated uh, keyboard warriors, so to speak, that the faces aren't on, on public display, so they're, they're hid behind the the wondrous thing that, that the internet is. So you just have to look at these people and think, you know what, I'll take it with a pinch of salt because it's common sense. There's no fighter on the planet that can have 40-odd fights, you know, and, and let's say most of them, somebody, somebody's response might be, well, he's not fought any credible opposition. Come on. Do you know, if you look at these fighters, even if he, even if he only fought journeyman, the, his record is astonishing. He still knocked everybody out. He's put everybody on the flat of the, the backside. Um, Luis Ortiz, before that fight, before the first fight, oh, well, he got lucky. Oh, well, you know, he, he shouldn't have got that decision. Oh, well, you know. And then he's had the second fight. He's completely, you know, been outpointed. He's been outpointed. But I knew going into that fight, not trying to be wise after the event, me and Deontay had spoke the day before. And he said, Richard, he goes, I'm not planning on playing around with this guy. 
He goes, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. And I was like, so what, what do you mean? I know that you're probably going to get him, but what do you mean? And he's like, no, everything's going to be lined up. because I'm going to get him the one shot that he's not going to get back up from. Watch. So people can say that, oh, yeah, well, he didn't box this one. He didn't box. He never intended on boxing. He went into that fight thinking, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And that he did. Oh. So let's not, you know, uh, criticise what the shoulda, woulda, couldas. Let's, let's glorify what he did do. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And Luis <laughs> Ortiz did exactly what he said Deontay, Deontay said he was going to do as well. He went to sleep. Yeah. And, you know, I've, and, I, and I've got no doubt you know, I know he's got the, a similar type of intention and a similar type of determination for Tyson Fury. He understands Tyson's a good boxer. He understands that Tyson's a big man. He understands that um, it can't be overlooked. And that's one thing I'll tell you about Deontay. He's not looked overlooked anything. He's trained as hard for this as he has for any other fight. And he'll continue to do so for the upcoming fight. So, you know, let's not, let's not look at what he could do and what he should do. Let's look at what he's doing. Yeah. Let's let's celebrate that. Let's give the man credit. And I'm not just saying that because he's a friend. I'm saying it because it's true. People are so quick to criticise and so so quick to downtrod people. Try and get in there. Try and get most of these people who are talking and criticising and downtrodding people. Try and get in there with, with a journeyman. Try and get in there with somebody who's never had a fight before. And you'll see exactly it's not it's not as easy as what it looks or it's not as um, as simple as what people like Deontay make it with one punch so I kind of I just take it all with a pinch of salt you know if it's somebody you know you get certain people talking you know I'm not going to mention any names because you know we'll keep a little bit of dignity here but you get certain professionals they'll sit and say the same things as these keyboard no, no fight record crackpots are saying and they'll say the same things. They're the they're the people that I kind of have got a little bit of a niggle for because yeah. I think you've been in there. You know how hard it was. Uh, you never um, you never got the success that Deontay's got. You never did as well as what he did. So what is it? Is it a bit of jealousy? Is it a little bit of resentment? You know, I don't know. But you know, people who have got experience or any type of experience in a boxing ring should know that it's a lot harder than it looks. And if we could all have a, a, a 95% knockout record, we would do. If any, any fighter could have a 97, 95% knockout record, they would do. It's not that easy. So give the man some credit. To go hand in hand with those comments, Richard, I'm not going to dwell on the negative here, but the other comment that gets yeah. me is that Tyson doesn't have any power. I mean, you're looking at a fellow who's knocked out 20 of his big opponents. Man. He's six foot nine. He's, he's 20 stone. Man. He's wearing 10 ounce gloves. You're telling me... When he sits on one of them shots and he brings everything he's got through it, when you're moving on to one of them... That's exactly it, Al. That's exactly it. And I, I had the pleasure of sparring with Tyson. Me and Tyson sparred for, um, for two, three years. Every week we were sparring. And um, Tyson, I'd never say it was... Tyson always had the upper hand because uh, he'd got experience. He were multiple world amateur champion at, at the time we first started sparring, he'd had thousands of rounds sparring. I'd come straight out of HMP, Her Majesty's Prison, <laughs> you know, so I, I'd never never been in a boxing ring when I got in ring with Tyson and 
um, lo and behold, you know, he, he, he run rings around me at first. Then I, I, I got the confidence, as you do with the practice, you know, I got the confidence of letting my hands go. And one thing I could do was punch. And um, Tyson will tell you himself, you know, he, he, he never under, he didn't underestimate me, you know, because I could punch. There were times Tyson hurt, hurt me. There were times I hurt Tyson. You know, I'd never say it were, um, I'd say it were more in his favour because he just had that little bit of finesse. He, he, he'd done it. He had more experience than me, but by no means did Tyson look past me. But the point is, I understand Tyson's a big man and he knows how to use his size. It's all right being big, but if you don't know how to use it, it's kind of a wasted a wasted uh, privilege. But Tyson knows exactly how to use it. He's been using it all his life. So uh, they're, a fighting, they're a fighting family. It's a fighting name, the Furies. And, um, and Tyson, you know, he's living up to that in everything he's doing. I, I respect and commend everything he's doing. Um, but with regards to uh, a comparison, and I see it again, I said it before, and Tyson, he, he responded, he didn't really like what I said, but I didn't mean it disrespectful. I'm just speaking the truth. Uh, he put a public video out saying, oh, Richard Towers doesn't know what he's on about and this and that. He's a big dosser and all <laughs> the usual Tyson Fury stuff. Uh, but I didn't mean anything by it. You know, um, Tyson Tyson's power does not compare to the answers. I've sparred with them both. They both hit me clean on the chin. Um, uh, uh, Deontay hit me clean on the head, on the side of my head, and um, and it, and it, it hurt. Just, <laughs> it hurt. Oh, I just uh, imagine. And, and, and many people, as I said, aren't familiar and wouldn't be familiar that you actually started off your professional career on an Irish boxing license. Yeah, well, that's right. I got a thirteen-year sentence. Um, so I think, don't quote me on the numbers because I might be wrong. You know. My memory might fail, fail me as it usually does, but um, I mean, I mean, reason right when I say that I was on license, criminal license for um, for four years after getting out, um, and because I was on criminal license, the British Board of Boxing Control didn't want to give me a boxing license, so Brendan uh, come up with the idea we were to go over to Ireland, which we did. We were to go and speak to the Irish board, which we did, and we were to get an Irish Irish boxing license, which we did, because uh, I've got Irish descendants. You know, my uh, great grandmother was Irish, and obviously, uh, I, I'm, I've got I've got Irish. Um, Real, just be quiet, please, while I'm talking on phone. Sorry about that. Al. Um, great name. Uh, yeah, we um, we thanks, pal. Thanks. Uh, we. Um, you know, we went and got an Irish boxing license because um, obviously the British Board of Boxing Control didn't want to give me one. And then as soon as my criminal license was up, once I'd been out like four years, uh, 2007, so 2000 and 2011, 2011, yeah, that's when I got my um, British boxing license. I think I might be wrong about the date. Yeah, we yeah. don't quote me on it. But, um, but yeah, that's what we did. You know, I got a I got an Irish boxing license and they practically put me on the map with regards to giving me the opportunity to express something that I never even dreamed that I could do. You know, I know I'll never any type of special boxer, but I just I, I just follow Brendan's instructions. Brendan, do this, do that, I do it without question. I become to love and trust Brendan as my own flesh and blood. And um and the rest was history, man. It's, it's once Brendan you know, Scott's sick, 
and I realised they couldn't um, spend as much time, you know, with me um, studying boxing, talking boxing, thinking boxing. It's like my my heart started to go out of the game, but because I built a momentum of wins, you know, um, before the Lucas Brown fight, I, I still know that I had something left in there. And what I'd done with um, Joshua, Klitsch, both Klitschko's, Pulev, Povetkin, Fiore, uh, Deontay, uh, and that's just to name a few. What I'd done with these guys in sparring and how I was getting through spars and they weren't touching me. And, you know, I, I, I hurt a few people. You know, I sparred a lot with Dillian. Uh, I hurt a few people in the time. So I thought, I've, I've, I've still got something. But I, if I'm honest, Al, I knew that my heart weren't really in it anymore because the celebration that me and Brendan had and the appreciation that me and Brendan expressed for each other and how, you know, this this journey, what we was on, we are going to do this and nobody would like it, especially the um, the British Border Boxing Control. They won't like it because I was never supposed to do it. It was like a really exciting accomplishment when um, me and Brendan, when I was boxing, and Brendan was around. As soon as he weren't around, it was like, "What am I doing it for? I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it for the money. I can earn money elsewhere." And I genuinely, you know, it's it's probably unfair to my my lovely friend in Adam, but my heart wasn't in it anymore. And I think Adam could see that. And I was getting injuries like they weren't real injuries. I weren't faking them, but it was probably as a result of me not being hundred percent there with it. For many people that are listening now and will not be familiar, the Brendan we refer to, of course, is the legendary, the, the pioneer himself, Brendan Ingle, and, and you, Richard, no thoughts on that man. 100%, Al. Do you know, the thing is, with, with Brendan, if you think I spent 10 years of my life, day in, day out, night in, night out, all together constantly, we'd walk around Sheffield, we'd be talking, you know, we'd be just, we spent so much time together. They were smashing people in Ireland, and after the war, when it was 1947, fellas used to come back from either England, that had been in the British Army, or worked in the factories, or come back from America. And one fella, I can't remember, well, I didn't even know his name, but he used to say, look for the secret of life. Look for the secret of life. That is so important. What's important in life? And uh, I've realised over the years... It's number one should be God. Number two is your health. Number three is your education. And it wasn't on the back of boxing. It was because first and foremost we were friends. You know, yeah. uh, Alma, Alma reg, uh, regularly con- um, commented saying, you know, you like it's like you stuck to the side like Siamese twins. You need to um, concentrate on your boxing, Richard. Brendan, you need to concentrate on what you're doing because. <laughs> You know, Richard's not always, you know, she used to just mess about and stuff. I realised then the most important thing you can give anyone is your, is your time, your knowledge and your experience. Well, through trial and error, for making plenty of mistakes, I'd learnt a lot. So I'd be saying to the kids in here, you know, uh, most important thing is your education. Don't wag it from school. Go to school. Learn. If you've got education... It'll open doors all over the place, which you need practical experience and all. So I'd be teaching them hand, foot, eye coordination, voice coordination. And you say, what do you mean? Well, I'd get like this and I'd go, there. Well, my hands, my hands and my feet as I'm moving are coordinating. Now, 
red and yellow and pink and green. My voice, my eyes, my hands and my voice are in coordination. Uh, I still see Alma every every week, you know, because I just see her once a week because she gets a bit fed up with me, you know, but I still see her because Brendan asked me, he said, please, Richard, don't mourn over me. Just look after me, wife. Look after Alma, Richard. Come here, I'll play something for you and tell me what this, what you think of when you hear this, all right? Just let me know can you hear yeah. this. And, um... Yeah, that's that's Andy Lee. Andy Lee, Sam. Yeah, of course I can. And uh, the, yeah, the memories from from that one. Can you tell me what what comes to mind oh, when you hear it? Man. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's definitely New York City, and uh, there were another one. Um, uh, New York State, of is it? No, it's not that. Oh, what is it now? Hold on, I'm mixing songs up. It's the New York one. It's uh, what do you call it now? Cause I've got I've got another song in my mind. When you get caught between the lights in New York oh, City. Oh, Christopher Cross. Yeah, but it's not that one. It's another one. Ah, oh, oh, it's another one. I forgot it, what it is. It'll come to you anyway. When you when you stop thinking about it, it'll probably come to you. <laughs> that Stevie Wonder song there. That was um, Madison Square Garden the first time. The second time when we went with Mike Perez, uh, he played di- a different one. And then when we went to Las Vegas, then uh, he played the he played that one. What you've just heard there, that no, 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 uh, the Stevie Wonder song. I'll never yeah. forget it. I'll See? never forget it. And and you know what? I think I've told you the story, but just for the benefit of people listening, it's um, I, yeah. I had followed Andy's career passionately from the time of the amateur game all the way through, and it's and I was trying to put into words here earlier on today how. What was it about Andy Lee? Followed every little bump on that journey with him. Oh, man. Well, the thing is, like, if you think all the time, I remember me and Andy being sat in, in, a, in a car in Surrey outside Adams and we're contemplating how we're going to get enough money to go and buy a uh, chicken uh, from from Sainsbury's. Um, and I was looking in me, me changing my car. Andy went to his change in his car. We were struggling for money, man. We were, we were really struggling, and um, and we we got it together. We got some food, and they were they were the days we enjoyed those those times together. We were training together, and Andy Lee was just a, a, a demonic grafter. He used to graft with no holes and bars. You know, he'd he'd just put everything in. I remember doing, we'd, we'd, there was something called Fuck 'Em Up Friday. Adam does that every Friday where you just do like a circuit, then you do bag work to finish off, and you've literally got sick in your throat. You've literally got uh, 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 vomit in your throat. And uh, I remember you stood outside of Andy, and we're doing this circuit, and Andy just took a little break. <laughs> stood to the side of the bag like a punchy bag, and just went, <laughs> like projectile vomited all over the floor, and then just got straight back to it. Wiped his wiped his mouth on back of his arm and just carried on punching. You know, yeah, such a such. We did. You don't even realise the times when you're going through it. You're enjoying it, but you don't. Even, we don't. As human beings, we don't even realise how much we should cherish every single moment. Of. And um, 
And, you know, me and Andy, like, we were living in Monaco together. We were training together every day, man, you know. It just we've, I've got so many good memories of me and Andy, you know, just, just being together with Adam as well. And we just, we had a, a blast of a time. And I can't remember exactly what Andy said to me, but I can guarantee it was probably along the lines of, look at this, Richie, look where we was and look where we are now, something like that, you know, and we had those moments all the time, you know, we'd be we'd be um, celebrating with billionaire guys on the yachts and stuff like that in parties and, you know, and, and we'd just look at each other and go, Andy, yeah, look at this, bro, <laughs> yeah, in comparison, it was just such a fun, fun time, we had such a good time and... Every time I speak to Andy now, he's like, "Yeah, hey, Richard, how you doing?" And I'm like, "Yes, Andy, I've not, I've not wanted to put him in a in a, uh, a situation where he feels uncomfortable, you know, with yeah. me FaceTiming him and Tyson sat there and Tyson knowing that Deontay is my dear friend and you know I don't want to uh, put Andy in an uncomfortable position at all, so I I wait till the evening and I message him. I go, "Are you doing, Andy? You okay?" I won't ask anything about Tyson's training. Yeah. I won't put Andy in that position. Do you know what I mean? So uh, we just we we do confer on a regular basis, and um, we keep speaking. But we had some amazing times out there. Some amazing times. Stuff that I'll tell my kids about. Andy, I'll tell his kids about. And you know, I do tell my kids, but, but I don't tell their grandkids. And you know, just thinking about it now, it's it's, it's just uh, it brings a tear to my eye, pal, because. It's very rare that you get these special people and special moments in life. And when you do, you just have to cherish them, don't you? You have to cherish them all. You really do. No, and then when he went with him, I remember thinking, whoa, yeah. there's two different characters, not from any lack of respect. Yeah. And then you start to see it working. Yeah. You're thinking, how special is that, Rich, for you to be right beside the two of them when it's happening? Because there has to have been that adjustment phase. And was there ever a, ch- a chance or a doubt that maybe that mightn't click? Nah, do you know what? Because first and foremost... Adam is one of those people, if it, if it doesn't work for him morally, if it doesn't work for him on a friendship base, that's how Adam is. Adam, you know, uh, he's family-orientated. Uh, uh, family he's uh, friendship-orientated. If, if people don't, if people can't sit around a table with him, then you can guarantee nine out of ten times they won't be in gym, gym with him. It's just Adam's very, he's got a very personal touch on everything. And that's, you know, hence the, the song that he chose, you know, I've, I, I always, I do the same thing with Adam, I've done the same thing with Adam. Adam, what's that song, that New York song, and I've, I've got, I'm going to message Andy now, and he'll, he'll send it now. Wait, just wait there, I'm going to send him a message now, and I'm going to ask him now, just wait there, don't go anywhere. I'll, I'm going to send him a message now. Brilliant. So when everybody's listening to this later on, and you hear the beep beep in the background, that's our very own Andy Lee. Rich and telling Rich, yeah. rem- jogging Rich's memory of the song that he played yeah. for his fights in New York. So. Adam and Andy used to buzz off my stories. I, I know that Andy would never admit it, but I know that him and Adam used to look at each other and go, nah, that, because that can't be right. And I'd be like, what are you looking at each other like that for? They'd go, come on, Rich. 
And I go, I'm just telling you fucking, you've asked me to tell you, I'm telling you what happened in my life. And they go, she really went through it, they couldn't believe it. But I actually look at Andy when Andy would tell me stories and I'd think, what? You went through that, you know? So it's, it's, a, it's just, when you're going through it, your body, your body, human beings are amazing. You know, we, we, we adapt and we deal with things what we never thought we could until it's come to the front where we've had to face it. It's just, and with, with uh, Deontay, you know, speaking to him, I, I spoke, he messaged me this morning because uh, I'd phoned him today. I phoned him yesterday and he didn't answer because obviously he's busy. Uh, and he just, he put, yes, bro, how are you doing, bro? Are you, he- are you here? Because um, he's expecting me to go. Because I've not spoke to him. I've not wanted to bother him. You know, mm. not wanted to. You know, yeah. So, um, so I've not spoke to him for like a week and a half. But uh, he just messaged me straight back. Yeah, Richard, what what's happening? Are you here? Whereabouts are you? Type thing. Um, and they just you, you just think to yourself, you think this guy's got a WBC title defense coming up against one of the one of the biggest and best skilled heavyweights that you know boxing seen in a long time. And he's and he's just so easy by the by breezy breezy. It's not even it's not even just because it's this fight. He's like that every fight. They just it's just we we learn to we become conditioned. We learn to deal with things, and that's why fighters deserve so much respect. Yeah. Brendan used to say to me, he'd go, "You think it's hard at the bottom? Wait until you get to the top. If you've got the brains and fucking balls to get there." everybody's wanted position. That's when it gets hard, when you're at the top, because everybody's scumbering, scumbling to get to the top to take your place. That's when it's hard. And when you know champions like Ander, you know champions like Deontay, you know champions, other champ- I can tell you, a good few other champions, cool, cool as cucumbers, cool customers. When you know champions like this, Vladimir, you think to yourself, you think, Do you know what? They're just—they're the blueprint of how to deal with such such fame and such success. They're the blueprints of it, you know. And I'm not talking about just in boxing. People from any walk of life, from from a business point of view, you can look at these people and think, "Wow, their lives are literally on the line." And look how they're still operating. Look how they're still functioning. Look how they're handling it. They're to be commended. They're to be respected. And this is what bugs me when people are so brash about their opinions and about the comments. Respect these gladiators, man. They're, they're fighting for their lives. And they've got children. They've got babies they're fighting for. You know, respect them, man. I, 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 can't, I can't elaborate that enough. I'll, you, you get it. You get it because you, you're a smart guy, man. But, you know, not many people do all. It's unfortunate. What but. a fella. What a great chat. Thanks, Rich, for everything you've done for me over the last while. Been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. And I just cannot wait to keep building this relationship, getting to know each other even better. And as I said, as the big fights keep coming, we'll keep rolling them out. Thanks as always. And, and a big shout out again, of course, to Andy Lee. Thank you for putting us out of our misery, Andy. I tried my best to think of every New York song that I could, but it wasn't happening. And uh, he did reply and he did give Rich the name of the song. And I have got the screenshot to prove that. So if they do by any chance happen to be listening all the way across the water there, massive, massive shout out to you, lads. It's getting hot now. It's getting sticky. It's getting time. Squeaky bum, as they say, squelchy bum. Whatever you want to call it, it's, it's almost time. The time for talking has almost stopped. But it did get heated last night. We're going to have a little bit of a, pay a little bit of homage to Andy's love of Game of Thrones, my love of Game of Thrones, and probably the best way I can run this episode out is just some clips from last night with the track Game of Thrones. Thanks a lot for listening. From me and them until then, 
catch you real soon. He gave me an opportunity, did he? I give him his biggest paydays of his whole life, got him a big contract with Showtime, brought him to the biggest stage in the world, being Las Vegas, and here he is, this is how he thanks me. He's got a whole lot of appreciation for someone who's fed him, looked after him, and put millions in his account. You know the saying, what's understood don't have to be explained, because come February the 22nd, your body gonna be lame. Hand punch. I don't know what you talking about. Knocking somebody in the second round. You ain't never knocked nobody in no second round. You got pillows for fists. The, uh, the old knockdown of the Gypsy King has been very, very, very active online and all over the world. Um, but the thing that Wilder must be thinking is, I hit that guy with the best two punches I can ever throw in round 12, and he got up. 